Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Casey teaches on biblical masculinity, starting off a series on sex, gender, and spiritual eunuchs. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com gatekeepers. Enjoy. All right, everyone, close your eyes. Our favorite way to start sermons. Close your eyes. I am going to describe a person to you, and I want you to visualize that person. Okay, your job is to use your imagination and, and put together what this person looks like. Here we go. This person works their absolute butt off at, both, at a both physically and mentally demanding job, and they work 50 to 60 hours a week. Where they work hard to be the best, and they work hard to work with integrity. This person wakes up before the sunrise every morning and goes to sleep late at night and spends every hour in between pouring themselves out as a drink offering to those around them, whether it's coworkers, friends, or their family. This person is known in their community for being strong when they need to be, but very tender when the need arises. They care deeply for people, especially children. They love children. As a matter of fact, they serve in children's ministry every chance they get. This person walks around with confidence and feels, lives, and speaks and acts as if they have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. This person isn't loud or boisterous, but is instead slow to speak and is a great listener. Matter of fact, people often call them the quiet one in the group. They have a strong sense of justice and, and a righteous anger that will provoke them to fight harder than anyone for the innocent and the oppressed. This person feels just as comfortable hunting as they do at a musical and cares deeply about how they dress as they understand the value of presenting themselves well. They work hard, they live humbly, they give much, and they will be all things to all people in order that they might serve the need of the moment. All right, so you got your person in your mind. You may open your eyes. Raise your hand if you visualize that person as a man. Go ahead, raise it high. Raise your hand if you visualize that person being a woman. Right. Listen, nice and high. Okay, several of you didn't raise your hand, so you didn't play the game and you can leave. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, it is neither. Thank you, Peter. I actually was not describing a man or a woman. I was describing a Christian. I was describing a Christian. And we often, naturally, assign a gender when, we, when, when I play that little game, we do that little, that little introduction, we naturally assign a gender based on things that we hear, and we hear things like tender and kind-hearted and loving children, and we think woman, and when we hear strong and works 50 to 60 hours a week and loves to hunt, we think men. But really what I was describing here was a biblical Christian. And so often... When we talk about subjects like femininity and masculinity, what we tend to do is we tend to hijack what the culture says about men and what the culture says about women rather than what the Bible says, and we tend to form our own opinions about it. Now, here's the thing, guys. Here's what I want you to understand. We're talking tonight specifically about biblical masculinity. So often we think the Bible says something that it doesn't say in regards to masculinity. So often, we go to men's conferences and we go to men's retreats and we hear all about what it means to be a man. And what I hope you're going to find tonight is that the Bible doesn't really talk a whole lot about being a man. I uh, have been to more men's retreats than you could possibly imagine. And every men's retreat, regardless of the denomination, regardless of the group of men, regardless of the culture, it is all the same. We're gonna talk about how God made us to fight. We're gonna talk about how God made us to hunt. We're gonna talk about how God made us to lead, how God made us to be strong. And everybody's gonna confess 
their sex addiction or their porn addiction. That's literally every men's retreat that I've ever been to. And I'm just here to say, I'm just being real, right? Every guy who's been there has been there, right? They get it. I'm just going to say, I had a lot of preconceived notions going into this sermon thinking that I really understood what it meant to be a man according to the Bible. And so uh, when I first started studying this, I remember I didn't give a whole lot of thought. I was going to do a whole series, and I was going to do something on biblical masculinity, and I'm like, oh, I don't really have to even study about this because I already know what it means. I've been to so many men's retreats. I know what it means. I know what the Bible says. And so I remember going to open my Bible and go, okay, I guess I should just open it up and just double check and make sure that I'm right. And I'd be like, okay, what does it mean to be a man? And I'd start researching, and I'd realize, holy cow, the Bible doesn't actually tell me what it means to be a man. We make a lot of conferences and we do a lot of retreats and we start to twist a lot of scripture and we say, this is what it means to be a man. And the Bible doesn't make such dogmatic statements. The Bible spends almost zero time telling us how to be men. The Bible was written not to tell us how to be men, not to tell us how to be women. The Bible was meant to tell us, was written to tell us how to be Christians. And what we do is we take um, we take aspects of what the Bible says about men and women, right, or rather about being a Christian, and we divide them among men and among women. And so we see things like we should be meek and kind and tender according to the need of the moment, and then we go, okay, well, uh, you know what? That's for women. But the Bible says that's for Christians, and it's not exclusive to women. As a matter of fact, every guy is supposed to be tender when they need to be. And we take something like strength, and leadership, and we go, okay, those are masculine qualities. Even though the Bible doesn't say they're masculine qualities, the Bible says those are Christian qualities and that women should exhibit those too. There's nothing wrong with being a strong woman, and there's nothing wrong with being a woman who leads. Matter of fact, we need that. And so what we've done so often in the church is we make dogmatic statements about what it means to be a man, about what it means to be a woman, and we have very little Bible to back them up. Now, there is some Bible, to be fair, but it is it's just hard, man. This is a hard subject to talk about. If I'm going to be honest with you, it's a hard subject to talk about because the Bible doesn't talk about it a whole lot. And so here's what we have to do. We have to at least come to the text and we have to be honest and go, okay, it does not say being a man means doing A, B, C, and D. It doesn't say that. And so what we can do and what most churches tend to do, and this is, I just wish we would say it more often, is we can make inferences. We can look at a text and go, okay, um, this text, the central character is a man. Let's see how he responds to certain circumstances. And then we'll extrapolate from that on what it means to be a man. But you have to understand, even when we do that, we're, we're, we're siloing characteristics and qualities into manhood that are not supposed to be siloed most of the time into manhood. They're supposed to be siloed into Christianity. And they're traits that are not exclusive to men, they're exclusive to Christians. Does that make sense? So here's what we're going to do. I, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of Bible. Like, there's one verse that I could think of that's like, um, act like men, but it doesn't actually tell you how to act like a man. It's not very helpful. Matter of fact, um, what it says, it, it, it really is giving clarity on what Christians should do. And so here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to give you just a few kind of like bullet point introductory thoughts that are going to help shape where we're going. We're going to break down a little bit of Genesis as to what it means to be a man, and we're going to do um, what I just said. We're going to look at Adam. We're going to look at the way God created Adam. We're going to look at the things that he said to Adam, and we're going to extrapolate from that and go, okay, this is what he said. This is how Adam responded. Therefore, we're going to say this is what it means. These are some character traits to be a man. But even them, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not exclusive to being men. So we're going to see that um, Adam serves. And I'm going to say something like real men serve. But guess what? It's not exclusive to men, right? Because women can serve too, right? And so we just got to be really careful that what we don't do is come to the text with our preconceived notions and read our, our, our preconceived ideas into the text. We just can't do that. When you read the Bible, I promise you, you're not going to see be a man equals A, B, and C. It's just not in there. And I'll tell you what, it's probably because there's a higher calling than being a man. And I think one of the issues that we have in our culture, maybe it's just our church culture, is that 
we're often asking the question, what does it mean to be a man in society? And what does it mean to be a man in church? And what does it mean to be a woman in society? And what does it mean to be a woman in church? And how do I find my place as a man? And how do I find my place as a woman? And, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There's a much higher calling on your life than being a man or a woman. It's to be a son and a daughter. It's to be a Christian. And, and you're spending probably a lot of your life figuring out, especially young men, I, I, I deal with this. I, I know this is like this is something you deal with, right? You spend a lot of your time, how do I be a man? And I would just tell you, you're better off spent going, how do I be a God-pleasing Christian? Because that's really the highest calling there is. And that's what the Bible speaks about. And so I'm going to give you some introductory thoughts. I'm going to give you, we're going to break down Genesis, make some inferences about um, masculinity, and then um, I'm going to give you some final thoughts that didn't fit anywhere else within the sermon that I just wanted to make sure I say. Okay? So here's the first thought. I just want to give this to you. Number one, God is neither man nor woman. God is neither man nor woman. Now, Jesus is a man, but Jesus is one of three persons. He's a member of the Trinity. But God, the Father, though he relates to us as a father, is genderless. Now, that does not mean that we should all be androgynous, okay? That does not mean that God is non-binary and therefore we are non-binary and all of the stuff that the woke agenda will try to push in churches today. What I'm simply trying to do is let you understand that the very beginning, in the beginning God, that word God is Elohim. Raise your hand if you've heard that term. Elohim. And Elohim means this, God, goddess, gods, goddesses. And I remember dealing with this the first time wrestling and going, how can that possibly be? And then it, it kind of dawned on me, it actually makes a whole lot of sense if you think about it, because God is not just one, he's plural, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's not a man, he's not Y chromosome man, he's far beyond that. Now, you and I, we are going to fit into gender categories, okay? There's no way around it, okay? Male, female, he created them. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But you do need to understand that God is above gender. He is both. Now, why is that important? Because in order to have the full picture of who God is, you need to understand that he is both masculine and feminine, he is not exclusively masculine, and he is not exclusively feminine. There are traits that you and I know about that we would put in the category of feminine, and there are traits that we know about that we would put in the category of masculine. God is both. He is, this, don't, this is not like, a, I'm not making a heretical doctrinal statement here, but think about him like this. He is both father and mother, okay? He is the Father God, and that's how we need to see him because that's, how he, that's exactly how he represents himself. But in the same way that your mom plays a very important role in your life because she exhibits feminine characteristics towards you, well, the Lord does the same thing. And so what we can't do is we can't go, okay, well, God's the Father. That means God is hard and strong and, and strict, and mom is kind and loving and sweet and tender, Right? That's typically how we look at it. He's both of those things. He is both strong and tender. He is both hard when he needs to be and soft-hearted when he needs to be. Okay, So Elohim means that he is above gender. He is both masculine and feminine. Now, here's what that means. Okay, God made us in his image. And this is, this is kind of why I wanted to start off at that point because he made mankind in his image. And when we're talking about masculinity and when we're talking about genders very specifically, you can, you can get a little twisted sometimes and think God made Adam in his image. God made man, Y chromosome man, gender man in his image. And he didn't. He made mankind in his image. So ladies, you are the image of God just as much as a man is the image of God. Okay, God didn't just make Adam in the image of God. He made Adam and Eve in the image of God. And therefore, now do you remember how this works? He makes Adam, and then out of Adam, he takes Eve. And now you have Adam and Eve who are both in the image of God. Masculine Adam, feminine 
Eve. And here's what you have to understand is at the very beginning, the very image of God, the representation of God, the picture of God was split into masculine and feminine, which means you have to have both in order to get the full image of God. You can't just be masculine. God is not Andrew Tate. We're going to talk about him. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to talk about him. Okay? God's not that. Right? God's not Mother Teresa. Okay? God, he is masculine, he is feminine, but you and I together, ladies and men together, husbands and wives specifically, together represent the full image of God. And so the men in the room who think that, well, I am masculine and I represent the image of God. No, you represent half of the image of God. You are not the full image of God. And you need to bring what you bring to the table, and that's great, fellas. But you need to understand there's a whole other side to this coin, and we need femininity to represent the full image of God as much as we need masculinity. So God is neither man nor woman. He's above that. He is both masculine and feminine. He is perfect. He's complete. He's lacking nothing. God made mankind in his image, which includes men and women, black, white, men, woman, Democrat, Republican, unborn, born. They're all made in the image of God. Now, I want to hit another point. Male and female, he created them. You guys know that verse? Male and female, he created them. And I understand that there is a big woke agenda that's hitting the earth right now. And it's not just hitting the earth, it's hitting the churches. But you just need to understand right off the rip, the very first chapter of the Bible, very second chapter of the Bible, I'll give it that, right? God explicitly says male, female. He does not say male, female, non-binary. He does not say male, female, and something else. He does not say, he says very clearly, God's making man and he's making woman. And together they make up the image of God. Now, here's the fourth thing I want you to know. Your gender, first, fourth introductory thought, your gender is not something to resent but to embrace. Okay, your gender is not something to resent. It's something to embrace. And I understand that in the world that we live, man, it is broken and it is fallen. And it is very um, understandable that some people would feel like, wait a second, I, I, I feel like I am in the wrong body. That's the language that's, that's used. Okay, we need to have compassion on that. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I think what we can do, and I don't have Bible for this. This is, this is purely specu- speculation. But, but I, I, I kind of think that what we do is we look at what might typically be called feminine characteristics or masculine characteristics. And we, we pigeonhole those. And we say if a man exhibits feminine characteristics, then he really is a woman. Or if a woman exhibits masculine characteristics, then she really is a man. And what I, again, what I want you to see is that the Bible doesn't list out feminine and masculine characteristics. It bears out Christian characteristics. Okay, and, and, and here's what that means. In the church today, what we have done is we've said to be a man means that you hunt, you drink beer, you come to church, you drive a truck, you, you, whatever, right? Just, just think of the image of men, right? And that a woman wears a dress, stays in the kitchen, she serves with children's ministry, maybe she sings on stage. It's real, I'm just telling this what, right? Now, fellas, if you think that about women, we're gonna have some words. I'm just gonna tell you right now, we're gonna have some words, so be careful. But we tend to think that way, that women play with Barbies and they're into their clothes and that men play with G.I. Joes and they play with trucks. Now, here's the deal. That may be a, a, a sociological truth, but I'm just going to tell you that the Bible does not say that women are not allowed to play with trucks. The Bible does not say that women are not allowed to hunt. It doesn't. Fellas, the Bible does not say that you have to wear camo to be a man. Listen, that's real. And now, here's why I just want you to know this. Here's why, here's why I'm saying this. Because 
Um, you guys, how many of you guys know Sun in our, in our house here, Sun, Sunbird? He, he has such an incredible story. And um, Sun, see, he grew up in a single, uh, with a single mom. But he didn't have a dad around. And so his mom was his hero. He loved his mom. And he watched his mom work her butt off to love him and to support him. And so naturally, because the person who was most important to him was his mom, he started picking up on things that his mom enjoyed. And so he was the kid that was more feminine according to the world standards, and everybody said, oh, that means you must not only be gay, that also means that you probably identify as a woman. And so he started to believe what everybody else said because he didn't fit in with all the other guys. He didn't like trucks. He liked fashion. He didn't like going hunting. He wanted to go to the musical. And what we've done in the church and what we do in the culture is we go, oh, that's feminine, therefore you must really be a woman. No, and the Bible doesn't say that. So I'm just gonna set you free. Ladies, you're okay to go hunting and you're still a woman. Glory to God, you don't have to wear a dress. Fellas, go to the musical. I don't care if you're into fashion. That's, that's awesome. Things that you probably assume are masculine and feminine, the Bible doesn't say those things. Your gender is not something to be resented. It's something to be embraced. And, and what I would just say is that the reason I think that we can resent our gender is because we resent really what the culture says about our gender. And I'm just going to tell you, we don't listen to the culture. We listen to the Bible. Okay? Which leads me to the next point. I would just say this, that culture does not dictate your life. The Word of God does. Culture doesn't dictate your gender. The Word of God does. And here's what this means. There are three forces right now that are working against you and me trying to define for us something about our gender. There's the woke agenda. Fellas, we're talking masculinity. The woke agenda would say that to be a man means to be evil. That, that, that to be a man and a masculine man, that's wrong. So they'd be torn down. That's the woke agenda. Don't listen to them. Then there's the anti-woke agenda. There's our, our friend Andrew Tate, who's just the opposite. No, being a man, you should be proud to be a man. In a world where they're tearing down manhood, men need to step up and we need to be men. And I'm just going to tell you, the world doesn't need more men. The world needs more Christians. And you don't need to let the anti-woke agenda define what you think, what it means to be a man. So you have the woke agenda, you have the anti-woke agenda, but you also have the religious agenda. And so the, the woke agenda says being a man is bad, and the anti-woke agenda says being a man should make you proud. You shouldn't be proud of something that you just are. You can't help that. If John gave me a Lamborghini, I wouldn't walk around being like, I'm so proud of this Lamborghini. I'd be just humbled. I'm like, it's just a thing. Woke says it's bad. Being a man is bad. Anti-woke says you should be proud. And the religious, the religious says that men are superior. The religious agenda says that women are down here or they're off to the side and men are up here or they're out at front. And I'm just going to tell you, as Christians, there's a lot of confusion right now in our world whether it's the religious world, the church world, or whether it's the actual non-Christian world, there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of voices trying to tell you what it means to be a man, and a lot of voices trying to tell you what it means to be a woman. And I don't want to be one of those voices. I'm not going to sit up here and be like, this is what it means to be a man. I really, really, really want the Bible to be the thing that defines for us what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And I'm, I'm just going to harp on this for just a moment. If you're not in your Bible... You don't stand a chance against deflecting what the anti-woke or the woke or the religious people tell you. We have got to pull out of culture to such a degree that the Bible can speak clearly about who we are and how we were made. We've got to. And so all of the guys in the room, you listen to Andrew Tate, I'm just going to tell you right now, you do not want to be Andrew Tate. That's a foul-mouthed, filthy person. Now, you listen, you may be like, well, he's got some good truth. L listen, the Bible's got more good truth. 
I'm going to tell you right now. If I hear one more guy tell me how awesome Andrew Tate is in the church, I'm going to lose my mind. Joe Rogan, Andrew Tate, they're not the men that you want to emulate. Do they have good qualities? I'm sure they have good qualities. But we're not trying to emulate men. We're trying to emulate Jesus. So don't let the woke agenda rob you and tell you that masculinity is something that, that you should shy away from. No, no, the, no, masculinity is great. We need you to be masculine because we want to represent the full image of God on the earth. Masculine is great. Feminine is great. But it's not something that you should strut around and be proud about. And it's not something that you should walk around and feel superior because you're a man, because that's not how Jesus operates. I'm so sorry about that, if I got a little frustrated. That guy just bothers me, man. I've heard so many Christians, not even just people, not, I'm not even saying people in this room, I just heard of a lot of Christians who were like, you know, they're on his bandwagon. And I'm going, have you listened to this guy? That guy looks, he's just, he's so filthy. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. I'm going to read this. We're going to make some inferences, okay, about what it means to be a man. And um, I think, I think, I hope and I pray that this will uh, give you something to move towards. Let me just tell you this. I'm, I'm just going to, let me pause. Um, what I don't want this to come across as, I really don't want this to come across. Like, I'm the man in the room, and therefore, men, you need to be like Casey. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to preach some of these areas, and some of these areas, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I do pretty well in that. And there's some of these areas that I'm like, man, I, I really need to grow. And so what I don't want you to do is hear any tone or tenor in my voice that would be like, come be like me that will get you just as far as being like Andrew Tate will. You need to be like Jesus, okay? So please, come with me to this text, and let's all, as men, as uh, people who are aspiring to be men of God, let's all come to the text and let the text just have its way in our life. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. Then the Lord God took man, <coughs> excuse me, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you shall eat of it freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And he brought them to man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And so just some of you right off the bat, if you've never read this before, God looks at man, says it's, never, it's not good that he's alone, and so he gives animals, which I think is hilarious. Before he gives Eve, he gives animals, which is why dogs are man's best friend. Okay. To see what he would name them, whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was, not a, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God fashioned from that rib into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, representing the full image of God united. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go through that passage, not quite verse by verse, but we're going to take some verses out of that passage, and I'm going to infer what I think it means to be a man. Because the Bible doesn't spell it out, I'm forced to infer it, okay? And so fellas, let this be maybe a true north for you as you are on this journey from boy to man. And I know that we're all on that journey together, we're all learning, but let this be a, a kind of a guiding light for you. Let's look at the first 
verse uh, that I'm going to read. It is, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. To cultivate and to keep it. Now, I've done um, like three or four sermons on this like exact verse, okay, to cultivate and to keep. But here's what I'm just going to tell you. <clears throat> Those words cultivate and keep are, are actually translated um, wrong. Okay? Now, your Bible is a translation of the Bible. It is not the actual Bible, right? So everybody here that we have, we just need to know that your translation, it's a translation of the Bible. In our English translation, we translate those words keep and cultivate because those are arboreal terms. And it's not that those are flat out incorrect terms, but most of the time that, that word, those Hebrew words are used, abad and samar, keep and cultivate, they're translated serve and guard. Serve and guard. But serve and guard didn't make a whole lot of sense to put in the text because it's a garden, and it's, there's clearly gardening going on, and so they were like, let's use the secondary definition, which would be keep and cultivate, okay? Now, here's the thing. The words serve and guard are priestly terms, and they're the same commands that are given to the gatekeepers of the Old Testament. The gatekeepers who would stand outside of the tabernacle of David, housing the very presence of God, they were given these same commands that Adam was given, keep and cultivate, serve and guard, Abad and Samar. And so God takes Adam and he places him in the garden and he says, I want you to Abad and Samar. I want you to serve and I want you to guard. Serve me, serve the garden, guard Eve, guard the garden. But that's not really what Adam does. If we're honest, Adam does the wrong thing. And where he's supposed to be protecting Eve from the evil outside of the garden, he lets his guard down and he lets a snake or a serpent, rather, come through the gates. He lets the enemy inside because he fails to guard and to do his job. You guys remember the story? Okay. What does this mean? <clears throat> what does it mean for the men in the room? Real men serve and guard. Real men serve and guard, and we protect. As Adam was created, the very first thing said to him is, before be fruitful and multiply, the very first thing said to him is, your job is to be a servant and to be a guardian. Fellas, you are called to be a servant and a guardian. In other words, you're called to not only protect Eve, or protect women, you're called to protect everyone who is oppressed. You're called to protect everyone within your domain who is being taken advantage of. You're called, called to protect everybody who can't protect themselves. That's what men do. And what you'll find is so often in the Bible, the thing that makes God the most angry is when men start to oppress people underneath them and start to oppress those who are less fortunate and start to oppress those like the sojourner. God gets really angry with that. And he goes multiple times in the Old Testament. He's like, yeah, I'm judging you for that. I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar because of that. I'm sending Babylon because of that. Men, we are wired and created with the unique ability to protect in a manner that women are not created to do. That's biological, that's sociological, that's historical, and it's Bible. At the end of the day, fellas, you are called to be a guardian, somebody who makes your environment safe. And you're called to be the chief servant. One of the things that I will say often about the, the idea of headship is Jesus modeled headship in marriage. <coughs> um, he modeled headship by not being the, the strong, dominant, I'm leading and I'm telling you everything you have to do, that while he was on the earth, he modeled headship as being the first to serve and the first to die. His version of headship was very different than what religion says. His version of headship is, let me get down and wash your feet, and let me be the first one on that cross. Jesus, the ultimate gatekeeper, serve, guard, serve, protect. And that's something that it doesn't matter if you're 110 pounds soaking wet, fellas. Doesn't matter if you don't know how to fight can't use a gun, doesn't matter. Something in you, you just need to know that your job is to protect, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. The room should be better for it, or the room should be better for you walking in. 
Well, here's the second thing that it means. It means that real men work with steadfast or work steadfast with God-ordained vision. Adam, from the very beginning, wasn't sitting around on his mama's couch doing nothing. Adam, from the very beginning, didn't walk around going, I wonder what God's vision for my life is. Adam, from the very beginning, had a purpose, a calling, and a vision that he had to work hard to achieve. Keep and cultivate the garden. Real men, I will just say this, work steadfast with God-ordained vision. And so some of you guys, you have no idea what God wants for your life. You have no clue. And that's okay, because you don't have to have it all figured out. But what I would say is you as a man are not called to live aimlessly and be um, uh, lax or lazy in your pursuit of that. There's something about being a man that says, I need to figure out what God's calling me to do. Maybe not for 30 or 40 or 50 years, but what is God calling me to do in the moment? And I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to make it my aim to do that with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. From the very beginning, Adam had vision for his life. And so as you guys are trying to figure out what, what does it mean to be a man, I would just say this. You need to work hard, and you need to not just work hard on your own agenda or your own vision. Adam didn't come to God and say, God, this is what I want to do. God said, Adam, this is what I want you to do. And Adam saluted. He goes, yes, sir, I'm going to do it. So you work hard not just on your vision, but you work hard on God's vision for your life. And if you're wondering, you're going, okay, I, I, don't, I don't have any idea how to figure that out. I would just tell you, I promise you, prayer actually works. He's not the God of riddles. He's not up there keeping information that's going to that's gonna, um, keep you uh, from your destiny or your calling or anything. He's not withholding himself from you. And I promise you, if you'll pray, if you'll fast, and if you'll actually maybe pull away from some of the things that are distracting you, you'll start to hear clearly. Again, you may not hear 50 years of, of your life, but you're probably going to get the next step. So real men... We serve, we guard, we protect, and we work hard with God's ordained vision, not our own. Okay. Next verse. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into the woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay, the first thing I want you to notice, fellas, the very first time that God says it's not good is that when it's not good for man to be alone. And if you read it um, in kind of one sitting, you start to realize the pattern is very clear. God has day one, he makes something, and he goes, it is good. And then he goes to day two, and he makes something, and he goes, it's good. And then he goes to day three, and he makes something, and he goes, it's good. And then he gets to Adam, and he makes Adam, and he goes, it's good. And then he sees that Adam is alone, and he goes, it's not good. It's lacking. Something's wrong. Now, here's what that means. Adam needed help. Just let that sink in. He could not do his God-ordained vision and calling before the fall even happened, he couldn't do it without the help of woman. What does he call Eve? The helper. Now, ladies, I understand, especially if you grew up in church, um, you, I, I think I understand how you could feel slighted and pushed out to the side and to feel like, well, you don't really matter and that men lead and men do things and God's for men and women are just there to serve. And I would just tell you right off the bat, the very fact that you are called the helper means that number one, men can't do things without you. And number two, that you hold a very high office in creation because you know who else is called the helper? The Holy Spirit. The only other person in the Bible that is called the helper is God. And so you may go, away. Well, where do I fit in in all this? Where does the Holy Spirit fit into the Trinity? That's where you need to find your place. I realize church and religion doesn't make room for that yet. We're getting there. We're, we're slowly changing, Lord willing. But I want you to notice, men, fellas, that Adam couldn't do it alone. 
And so what does that mean? Real men walk in humility and realize they don't have it all figured out. And real men value what others bring to the table. And it's really easy in our world, in our culture, in our lives to think as men that we've got to have it all figured out and you don't have to have it all figured out. And it's really easy to value what we bring to the table. And I'm just going to be honest, this is, I fall so short of this because I walk into meetings so often and I'm like, this is what I have. This is what I bring to the table. Listen to me. And I'm reminded that, wait a second, no, 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 no. I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And Adam needed to learn that he didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And Adam needed to embrace humility to go, I need Eve. It is not good for me to be alone. I need help. And so, fellas, it's okay to ask for help. As a matter of fact, I would say it is one of the most masculine things that you can do. Not that you would take the world by storm and it would be you independently. No, 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 that you would say, I have shortcomings. It's not good that I do this alone and I need help. Whether that's, I need help in my walk with the Lord. I need help in my battle against um, whatever sin struggle I have. I need help in my finances. I need help in my, my, the, the plan that God has for me. I, don't, I need help. You cannot do it alone. You were not created to do it alone. And before sin ever entered the earth, Adam couldn't do it alone. Okay. It takes humility to admit and to accept help from someone. Um, I, I read a quote that I like to share often. It's, um, <coughs> the highest form of pride is the inability to receive a blessing. The highest form of pride is the inability to receive a blessing. And I'm going to change it. The highest form of pride is the inability to receive help. You and me, as men, we're not called to have it all figured out. We're called to walk in humility. We're called to value what other people bring to the table. Well, let's go on to Genesis chapter 3. This is 1 uh, through 3. And this is more of a detailed account of the creation of man and woman in chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden you may eat, or we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Just want to point out, you remember what God's initial, or man's initial job was? to protect. Adam let the serpent in. Adam did not do his job. Adam is the whole reason we're in this mess. And so often we like to look at women and go, well, wait a second. Women were deceived. Wait a second. Eve ate the fruit. I, tell, I remember telling my wife that when we, um, <laughs> you guys want some insight into our marriage? Um, I, I like to poke fun at people. Um, and I don't mean it in like a, I just, it's just fun. I don't, I like it when people do it to me. I like it. And so my wife, she was in labor um, for our first child, Vivian. And it was like really hard. She's in a lot of pain. And that woman has the most intense pain tolerance I've ever seen. And she's like, she's dying. And she's like literally on the medicine ball like this. And she's going, ah! And she's like screaming. She's got these contractions. And, you know, they're coming like every minute or whatever. And um, I just looked at her. And she looked at me. And I said, baby. Shouldn't have eaten the fruit. So I'm so sorry. So God said, I'll increase. Your curse was that I'll increase pain in childbirth. That's on you. She was not happy. But then I started, true story, I started to play Eye of the Tiger on the, on the stereo, which would have really helped me in the moment. Didn't help her. She was really upset. But it was funny. It was a good story. You shouldn't have eaten the fruit. So often we look at women and we blame them for the fall. So often you'll hear little threads of that and you'll hear little theological threads of that in sermons like, wait a second, lady, somehow it was Eve's fault and Eve was lesser than Adam. And I will just say, Adam was the one given the charge to guard, not Eve. As a matter of fact, he was given that charge before Eve was created. Adam is the reason that we're in this mess, not Eve. If Adam had done his job, Eve would have never been in harm. She would have never been in harm's way. She would have never been um, in danger. And then look at this. Look at the next verse. This is really interesting. 
This is 8 through 14. They eat. Things go south. They realize they're naked. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. <clears throat> then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Here we go. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now look at This is one of Adam's finer moments. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so let's look at what Adam does, and let's, let's just try not to do that. Here's what Adam does. He blames God, and just in case that doesn't stick, he blames Eve. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the tree, or she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I thought it was a banana. You see what happens? I have always wondered. I have no Bible for this. I've just wondered. What would have happened if Adam would have repented? Can you just imagine for a second? If instead of immediately going to the blame game, and shifting and avoiding responsibility and ownership if he had just said, Lord, I messed up. You told me to guard. You told me to guard the gate of Eden specifically, and you told me that it was my job to protect Eve, and I failed, and I'm sorry. Can you imagine? I just, we don't know. We don't know what would have happened. I'll ask the Lord one day. But I've always wondered, if he had just been broken and contrite, would God have said, it's okay, I'll take care of it? Because that's kind of what he does with us. That ultimately is salvation, right? But that's not what Adam does. Adam immediately shifts responsibility and puts the blame on somebody else. So fellas, let's extrapolate here. Real men take ownership of their mistakes. We take responsibility. Can I tell you a story in my own life? I, <coughs> this is really embarrassing, Okay. This just happened like a week ago. So, God, it was, it was, it's still a little raw. I live on some, uh, I live adjacent to some property that Pastor Dustin, if you guys know Dustin, he lives on and he's like a spiritual dad to me and, and I, I love that man so much and I'm over their house all the time because we're like neighbors. And um, on his property, he has a really, like a really expensive, really nice, um, gigantic garage shed but it's probably close to the size of this room, height-wise, width-wise. It's actually probably bigger than this width-wise. It's huge. Okay, it's massive. They store, they live on a farm, so they put all their farm equipment in there. Well, this thing's pretty new, um, and uh, it's got uh, this giant tractor in there that I'm learning how to drive. Okay? Learning being the very key word. Okay? Now, this building on the outside looks beautiful. There's like this brick overlay around it, and it's just stunning. Well, I got on the tractor and was backing the tractor out and was clear. Glory to God. There was nothing on either side of me. I'm like three quarters of the way out of this gigantic gate and I go to turn the tractor and I wasn't quite out and I knocked all of the brick off the front of this really nice, really expensive building. All of it. I mean, it comes down like a wall. I almost destroyed the whole building. Had I been like five inches closer the entire building would have come down. Not kidding you, the entire building would have come down. On their truck, on their car, on their tractor, on me, it would have been absolutely catastrophic. So I jump out, freaking out, and you know what my instinct was? How am I gonna cover this up? It's real. I'm 32 years old, I'm a pastor. And I'm still going, how do I cover this up? Where's my fig leaf, Lord? Provide me a fig leaf. And I knew instantly, this is the verse that came to mind. Okay, I gotta own this. And so I forced myself in the moment, literally forced myself, before I could talk myself out of it, to call Dustin. And I said, Dustin, I am so sorry. I made a huge, huge mistake. Please forgive me. It's nobody's fault, it's my fault. 
And I was so great. He was so gracious. He's like the dang, he's the worst Christian because he's so good at being a Christian sometimes. I told him, I was like, I wish you would just be angry at this. You should be more mad. He was not. He was like, oh, it's cool. We'll fix it. Don't worry about it. Here's the idea. I, I told you guys, like, I, I have room to grow in this. Here I am. I've been following the Lord 15 years. I'm a pastor. I should have it pretty well together, at least in this department. I shouldn't, like, have this temptation to, to hide my mistake and to lie about it. But I'm telling you, in the moment, I'm like, how do I cover this thing up? There's something in us as sinners that we don't want to own our mistakes, that we don't want to take responsibility, that we don't want to, we don't want to take the blame. And I'm just going to tell you that being a man means that we, as men, own our issues, own our mistakes, and we take the blame. And guess what? Sometimes it means we even take the blame for stuff we didn't do because that's what Jesus did. And I would just encourage you, fellas, if you're in this room and you're going, okay, I'm trying to be a man, what does it mean? One of the first things that I would work on is owning your mistakes and trying to stop being a victim. You're not a victim. Now, there's, you may have some poor circumstances. You may have an unfortunate hand that is dealt to you. But if you are thinking, like, I'm a victim and I am uh, I'm the way that I am or I have the life that I have because other people were wrong to me, I'm just going to tell you, you've got to start looking for the ways that you have messed up. Now, there may be some real wrong in your life, absolutely. But men, we don't act like we're victims. We own our issues, we own our mistakes, and we take responsibility. Amen? So I just like to, um, I like to, I want to give this last verse because I, I think it illustrates the whole serve and guard thing really well. Genesis 3.24, so God gives them, God, Adam blames God, and then God gives them essentially the curse and the consequences of their actions. <clears throat> and then in verse 24, it says this, he drove the man out of the garden, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim with the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. That word guard is the same word that's translated cultivate just a chapter earlier. Guard, samar. And so Adam fails to do his job, and so God gets somebody else to do it. Adam, his job was to guard the gate of the garden to make sure that nobody entered that shouldn't have entered. Adam didn't do his job, and so there were consequences to it. Fellas, there's consequences. At the end of the day, we own our mistakes, and that doesn't mean that all of our consequences are taken care of. We still got to just eat our consequences and put a smile on our face. There's consequences. Adam is driven out of the garden, and then God finds, gets the cherubim, and he stations him, and he says, okay, you're going to do the job. You're going to protect. You're going to guard. The flaming sword. It's pretty cool. So men use flaming swords. Just kidding. <laughs> Let me give you just a few final thoughts. Um, ladies, do not consider a relationship with a boy. Do not consider a relationship with a boy. Only a man is worth your heart. And I understand you want to be married, I understand that you probably, you really desire a relationship, and I would just tell you, do not compromise because you want something, but there's no men around, and you're left with boys. I'm not saying that everybody in this room is a boy. I'm just saying you don't even need to compromise. You don't need to compromise. If you are entertaining the idea of being in a relationship with a guy who blame shifts, who doesn't walk in humility, but actually thinks that he is, uh, I'm going to use old school terminology, the bee's knees, that he thinks that he is everything he is God's gift to mankind, and he is God's gift to women. He doesn't value what other people bring to the table, and he doesn't know how to say, I need help. If he can't serve, if you don't see him acting as a servant in areas of his life, he doesn't do a good job of serving his friends or serving the need of the moment or serving his church, serving his parents, serving his family. If he doesn't hit any of these traits, I'm just going to tell you, just run. I don't care how attractive he is or how good he plays the guitar. Nobody cares. That's not going to help you. Do not consider a relationship with a boy. Only a man is worth your heart. Um, number two, men. Work hard to be the man that you know your future wife deserves and that God demands. Nobody's going to be perfect. We're not all like, you know, there's like a man spectrum. We're not like trying to get to level 10 and we're all going to get to level 10. That's just not how it works. But you and I, as men, we should be striving to better ourselves as men. 
And so that let that be your true north. There's um, somebody at Gatekeepers, I'm not going to mention his name, but um, I've been so impressed because in our conversations, I've just watched him in his life. He's literally on this track. He's going, I want to be a man, and I realize there are areas in my life where I'm a boy. And so he's asked for, like, accountability to help call him out of some things where he's being childish and boyish, and it's painful and it hurts because nobody likes the truth. And I'm watching this guy work hard at growing in those areas. And I'm going, man, I, that's what we all need to be. When I was 19 years old, I was not doing that, guys. I'm just telling you. And if you're 19, 20 in the room, that's where you need to be. You need to be going, okay, I want to grow in these things, and I want people around my life to show me where I'm failing in these areas because I want to be the man that my wife one day will actually deserve. Um, number three, here's the third final, or th- yeah, third, one of my final thoughts, just random thoughts. One requirement to be a man means that you have to be an adult. You have to be an adult. It means you have to be a grown-up. That means there are things that adults do that you're going to have to do if you want to be called a man. It's not enough to be humble, and it's not enough to just serve, and it's not enough to just protect you don't have a job and you live with your mom. Okay, now that's hard. I realize that's hard. And, and the day is a little different and people are staying at home a little bit longer. I get that. But the point being, you have to be an adult before you can call yourself a man. And so if you can't make your bed and you can't keep a job, you may have all of those masculine characteristics, but you may still be considered a boy. And I would just say that you need to, while growing to become a man, you also need to grow to become an adult. Does that make sense? Okay, you guys, you know your life better than I do. You know what's going on. You know the areas where you're maybe a little childish. And I would just say, you just start working on those. It's not gonna be immediate, just work towards them. Um, the other, uh, oh, here's what I mean. I actually have this written down. One requirement to be a man means to become an adult. That means you are self-sufficient, emotionally stable, and you have God-ordained direction for your life. Self-sufficient, emotionally stable, with God-ordained direction for your life. Um, Number four, the other requirement to be a man means that you're a mature Christian. You cannot be a real man, I'm convinced. You can have all kinds of masculine characteristics, but if you don't know Jesus and there's not a maturity in your Christianity and a depth to your relationship with the Lord, you're not a man. You're a good specimen, but you're not a man. Here's what it means to be a mature Christian. Fellas, you know the word. You have God-given, Bible-saturated convictions. I'm just going to, God-given, Bible-saturated convictions. We need men who have convictions on areas that's gray and are confusing. We need men to go, I'm not going to watch such and such, and I'm not going to listen to such and such, and I'm not going to partake in such and such, even though I may have liberty, but I'm going to have a God-given, Bible-saturated conviction about it. Number three, you have to have stability and consistency in your relationship with the Lord. What it means to be a mature Christian is that you can be all things to all people, which means you are tender when the need arises, tough and strong when the need arises, hard and or wise in hard circumstances, and clear and honest in communication. It means that you live a life of generosity, not just financially, but re, all of your resources. And it means um, that you have godly boundaries that honor other people and honor women. And it means that you have a good reputation outside of the church and inside of the church. When I say mature Christian, those are the things that I'm thinking. Okay, so I want you guys to stand. <coughs> we're actually, we're not going to do an altar call because I, I said we were going to do one, but we really don't need to do an altar call right now. This is not a super altar call message. There are those of you in the room who you may not fit into what the culture or the religious culture says um, a man is. There are men in the room. You don't like to hunt. You don't drive trucks. You're into fashion. You're into music. Perhaps you're artsy. Perhaps you like to cook. Whatever it is that you think in your head is not quote-unquote masculine, and you're going, where is my place? And I would just like to give you this, um, and I've said it already, you can do all of those things and exhibit every trait that I just listed. Every trait. 
You can be humble. You can serve. You can be strong. You can, um, oh, Lord, help me. You can do, uh, you can, everything that I said you can do and still be into flowers and fashion, fellas. And so don't let anybody try to force you to be something that the Bible doesn't force you to be. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.